the devil, according to a legendary story, once advertised all of his tools for sale. On the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each one marked with a price. It was a treacherous lot of implements, hatred, lust, envy, jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, and so on. But laid apart from the rest was a harmless-looking tool, well-worn and rusted, yet it was priced very high. One curious customer asked, what is this tool? That, said the devil, is discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because it, because it is more useful to me than all the others. With it, I can pry open and get aside a person's heart that I cannot get near with any other tool. And once inside, I can make them do what I choose. It is badly worn because I use it on almost everyone. Though legendary, the story does emphasize the damage that discouragement can do in the heart of a person. Discouragement can make a person ineffective. It can choke out all growth. It brings progress to a standstill. It can render a Christian, a leader, a congregation useless more easily than anything else. When we're discouraged, we don't pray like we ought to. When we're discouraged, we let our Bibles lie on the shelf. When we're discouraged, we won't step out in faith. When we're discouraged, we won't trust God. When we're discouraged, we stumble back into old sins and destructive habits. Now, chances are we all know what it is to be discouraged. But imagine for a second that you were part of a group of people that were there to pick you up when you were feeling down. Imagine being a part of a group of people that reminds you of what God has done or what God has said about you when you've listened to what the enemy has said to you. Imagine being a part of a group of people where everyone went out of their way to encourage one another. What would that look like? That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. It's page 907 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're just going to look at this one verse. Paul writes, Therefore, comfort, or some translations say, encourage each other and edify one another just as you are doing. The title of the message is, Encourage One Another. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We love you, Lord. We are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful, God, that we can gather here and we can study and we can sing and we can know that you're here. We, we are thankful, God, for a group of people that love each other and care for each other and will be involved in one another's lives to, to strengthen and encourage one another. Heavenly Father, today as we look at this passage, let your Holy Spirit come and take your word and apply it to our lives. Father, let your Holy Spirit come and use your word like a hammer to knock down strongholds that we might have erected so that our every thought could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Father, let your Holy Spirit come and use your word like a mirror to, so that we can see what's going on in our own lives and we can see what needs to be changed and what needs to be dealt with and let us deal with it. Father, let your Holy Spirit come and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Open our eyes today and show us wondrous things out of your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would have 
clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Father, use this to change us. Use this to sanctify us and to make us more like Jesus. Be glorified in how we listen. Be glorified in how we respond. And let us choose to be a people that encourage one another. We ask in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the passage, the context is important and we'll have to cover it quickly because there's not a lot of time. Paul has been writing about the second coming of Jesus since 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13. He talks about the the fate of unbelievers um, in chapter 5, the first three verses that we don't, again, we don't have time to look at, but take time and and study that on your own. And then in verses 4 through 11, what Paul begins to do is, is shift from focusing on what happens when Jesus returns to what believers are to do while we wait. Right? Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And so we're, we're waiting for that day when Christ will come. And so how do we live up until that day? Well, that's what those verses talk about. And the verse we're talking about today is a part of that. Now, as we wait for Jesus to return, there are going to be good days and bad days. As we wait for Jesus to return, there are going to be days when we're strong and days when we're weak. As we wait for Jesus to return, there will be days where we think clearly and days where we let fear and other emotions determine our actions and reactions. As we wait on Jesus to come back, there are going to be days where faith, hope and love abound in our lives. And then there are going to be days where faith, hope and love are rare. As we wait for Jesus to come back, there are going to be days where we are certain of our salvation and we look eagerly for His return. And there are going to be days where we wonder about our salvation and the thought of His second coming fills us with fear and dread. Well, how do we deal with the ups and the downs that will come into our life while we wait? Well, we, we encourage one another and we build one another up. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 11. Right? The word that the New King James translates as comfort, it really would be better translated probably as encourage. Right? It refers to encouraging someone to keep on keeping on when they feel like quitting. It's talking about coming alongside someone and helping them to keep on going. It talks about encourage, give them an encouraging word when they're discouraged. It could be something as simple as letting them know you're praying for them. It could be something like sharing a Bible verse with them that you had read and made you think about them. It could be just calling them and talking to them. It could be any number of things. But it would be to find a way to encourage the person who is discouraged. Now, the word for edify, it means to build up or to strengthen and to to edify someone. It's more than to give them a pep talk, right? To to edify someone, to edify one another. It almost always refers to building one another up spiritually. It often refers to strengthening someone doctrinally. So to edify someone isn't so much to come alongside them and say, you're a good person and everyone loves you. As it is telling them who they are in Christ, reminding them what Jesus has done for them and what he has promised for them in his word and reminding them about the great 
power of God at work in them and through them and for them. To edify someone is to strengthen them in Christ and in His Word. We are to comfort each other, to encourage each other, to edify, to build up one another. Now, this is a command. This is something that you and I as believers, we are called to do. It's something that, that I'm called to do. It's something that you're called to do. Each and every one of us, we have the responsibility to encourage and build up one another. And so that's the, the main thing today is just that. We are called to encourage one another and build one another up. That is a part of all of our calling that God has placed upon our lives. Now, initially, I had we were called to encourage, not discourage one another and build up and not tear down. But that was too long. But I do want to say That's what it means. Our job, it isn't to discourage people. Our job isn't to tear people down. Listen, if if we go around and the primary thing that we do is discourage people and tear them down, friends, we are Jesusing wrong. We're, We're not doing it right at all. We are called to encourage Come alongside and to help one another, to build one another up. So how do we do this? Well, there's three ways. First, be careful with my words. This is one of the most important things that that you could ever do. is to be careful with your words. Some of the most discouraging moments I've ever had in my life came from people who I know loved me. And I know they cared about me. But they were careless with their words. And they said something that just was like a knife to the gut. I mean, it just was tearing me apart. And this is a huge thing for us. Right? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that none of us wake up each day and think, Today I'm going to go out and just discourage as many people as I can. Today, when someone's happy, I'm going to tell them all the reasons they ought to be sad and miserable. I hope we don't do that. If you do repent, there's going to be a time later where you can. But for most of us, when we do it, it's just because we don't think. It's because that we, we don't think before we speak. We just, a thought comes in and we, whoosh, it runs out of our mouths. Right, look at what the, the Bible says. Speak without thinking and your words can cut like a knife. Be wise. And your words can heal. I mean, we have a choice about what the words that we say do in a person's life. We can speak words that heal and help and encourage. Or we can speak words that stab and cut and harm. And the key difference between the two, by and large, is just being careful with how we speak. Proverbs tells us a lot about the power of our words. A person's words can be a life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a a bubbling brook. And don't you want that said about you? Don't you want people, when they see you, to say, when they say something to me, it's like life-giving water. They refresh me when they speak to me. Not, man, every time they talk, it's like they're cutting me with a knife. Or or this, 
The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Now, acceptable and perverse there aren't so much talking about perverted as we like to think about it. It just means wrong. Right? The mouth of the righteous are meant to say things that are good, not things that are bad. Or this, from a wise mind comes wise speech. The words, the wise are persuasive. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Now, key thing I want to see here is that our words come from what? Our, our mind. What do, your, what do your words say about the way that you think? Jesus talks about our words come out of our hearts. What do your words say is in your heart? Again, don't you want people to say, man, when they talk, it's sweet to the soul and healthy from the body. I mean, it's good. The things they say are good. Or as Paul said in Ephesians that I read at the beginning, they're for necessary edification. They, they help build me up. They help strengthen me. They help encourage me. They don't discourage me. They don't tear me down. So how do we go about being careful with our words? Well, we, we think before we speak. Now, we've probably all heard this acronym before. But before we say something to someone, we ask ourselves, is it, is it true? Is it true? Now, this is a kind of a big thing. Right? We live in the world of fake news, right? We're constantly being warned about it. One thing I would say is, if someone, if, if you have to preface what you're going to say to someone with, well, I heard. Chances are you're not even convinced it's true. At the very minimum, you be convinced it's true. Couldn't tell you how many conversations I've had over the last few weeks. Hey, I heard. And then what they went on to say was so far from the truth. Listen, if we, if we have to preface it, well, I heard a rumor. Don't tell someone about it. If you hear a rumor about me, don't just come and say, hey, I heard you were this or you did that or you acted like this. Is it true? Secondly, is it helpful? Does it actually help them? I mean, what's the point of what you're about to say? What, when you say this, what are you hoping to accomplish in that person's life? What do you hope will happen in them and through them and for them because you spoke these words? Will it help them? Will it encourage them? Will it discourage them? Will it tear them down? What will be the response? Is it inspiring? What are they going to do in response to what you've said? Are they going to go out and live for Jesus, be kinder, be gentler, do more of what God would have them to do, be a better spouse, parent, child, customer, employee? Or are they going to go out and just lay down and cry? What, or is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Now, this is the biggest one. I want to spend the most time here because this is the most important one. Is it necessary? Does it actually have to be said? I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Every time we talk about this, I'm going to say it. So get used to it. Your head will not explode if you don't say every thought that runs through your mind. It won't. I promise, I promise you. It will not happen. If there is a thought in your head to say to someone or about someone, you will not die if you just hold it in because it's not necessary. Now, 
If I'm wrong and you do, I will admit it at your funeral when I'm preaching. I promise I will. I'll say I was wrong and they should have just said it. But I don't expect to have to do that. Not everything that runs through our mind needs to run out of our mouth. Is it necessary? Then is it kind? I mean, is it is it kind? And I think in kind, you could think in terms of both the content and the tone. Now, the content, we know about being kind in our content. Is the things that we're saying about them, is it kind? But I think we should also think about our tone. Now, I was raised in a house with men. Me and my dad and my brother and my mom was there, but it was me and my dad and my brother joined the army with infantrymen. And I was never around women until I got married and had three girls in my house. Suddenly, my tone matters. I never even thought about what my tone was in my whole life. And now I'm constantly hearing. I don't like the tone. What does that even mean? I just said these words. Well, it sounded like you were saying, right? So I'm having to be. I'm here, I'm 40-something years old. I'm having to think very carefully about what I say. This hasn't been my strong suit most of my life. My tone matters. I can say the same thing in two different ways. And in one way, they laugh and think it's great. In the other way, they cry and get mad at me. Because my tone, it's not kind. Is it kind? What you're saying, and is the way you're saying it kind? Think before you speak. Some would say, you know, man, if I had to go through all of that and had to meet all those qualifications before I said it, I I would never say anything. And let me say gently, maybe that's for the best. I mean, the reality is God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we speak it. And what you've always heard. There's probably an awful lot that we say really doesn't need to be said. You know, there's nothing special about discouraging people with our words. There's nothing special about tearing someone down, trashing them. That's not a spiritual gift. It's not your God-ordained gift to the body of Christ is to be able to discourage people and tear them down and tell them all the reasons what they're wanting to do won't work. There's Anyone can do that. The unsaved can do that. The wicked can do that. Politicians can do that. The news media can do that. We ought not strive to be like them. Anyone can tear down. Anyone can discourage. But it takes a special spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ to encourage and build up as we speak. And that is what we are called to be. We are called to encourage one another and build one another up. So let's be careful with our words. Secondly, learn to say what God says. When someone is discouraged, oftentimes they have forgotten what God has said about them. And, and, you know, the reality is God has said a lot of things about all of us. And we know what those things are because we, we have his word in our hands. You know, if there is anything the Bible says we are, right, if it says there is something that we are as people, I mean, that's what God says. This is what God says about us. 
And so what we ought to do to encourage people is we ought to remind them of what God has said to them, said about them. We ought to go to them and tell them, here's what the Bible says. Because a lot of times when we're discouraged, we're believing a false truth. We're believing something the enemy has said. We're believing someone that has said something unkind. But those aren't what God has said. What God has said is absolute truth. Right? What God has said about me, it's true whether I feel like it's true or not. What God has said about you, it is true, whether you feel like it or not. So we can go to people that are discouraged and we can say, here's what the Bible says. And we can encourage them because this is always true. This is always right. This is what God has said about them. Now, so what are some things God has said about us that we can tell to other people? Right? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love this verse. Right. Jesus has won and he is going to win the ultimate victory in the end. And he has won a victory right now. And you and I, as believers, we get to be a part of that. We are victors through Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that we don't struggle with our sinful nature? No, that's not what it means. Does that mean we don't fight spiritual battles? No, that's not what it means. But it does mean we fight those things from a position of victory and not defeat. But we are not the conquered trying to just get along. We are victors through Jesus Christ and we fight from that position. Hey, if you're discouraged, someone comes to you and reminds you that you have the victory through Jesus Christ. Is that an encouraging thought? It is to me. So we can tell that because it's true. It's what God says. Or how about this? And this one is built upon this one. Since Jesus has won the victory, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, we, we do things for Jesus and we do things for people and we, we do it for Jesus, for people. And sometimes the world doesn't notice and sometimes nobody cares and sometimes it doesn't seem there's any results from it. And yet the truth of what God has said is our labor is never in vain in the Lord. Everything we do in Jesus' name. It is eternally significant. It will reap rewards now and in the world to come. No matter how we feel. When we feel that what we're doing has no effect and is not doing any good. Jesus saw and he says that that is not in vain. If you're discouraged because you feel like you're working and not do, and doing and nothing's happening. Man, isn't it encouraging to know that nothing we do in the Lord's name is ever in vain? That's an encouraging thought. Or how about this? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who, who do not walk according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, how many of you know what it is to, to sin? Right? You, you strive to live for Jesus, but you just don't make it. You ever, you ever done that? I have. And in that time, there can be a weight of condemnation that settles upon me. And I just feel... I may not even sure I'm saved. I mean... Man, I should be better than this by now. But the truth is, I'm in Christ Jesus, so there's, there's now, now, right now, there is no condemnation for me in Christ. None. The believer in Jesus Christ is never condemned as an unbeliever. Never. Not when we are quote-unquote good and not when we're bad. We are free from condemnation. As long as we are in Christ Jesus, we are free, forever free. Jesus has taken 
condemnation for us and it will never be placed upon us as long as we're in Christ. Hey, if you're discouraged because you've blown it and you just feel the weight of condemnation and the devil's just pressing that on you, man, wouldn't it be encouraging to be reminded there is no condemnation for you right now? And, or, or this verse that goes along with it. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Right. So what's God's standard? What's His expectation? That we do not sin. But then what's he going to say? But if anyone does. Right. Talk about written from an honest perspective. Don't sin. But if you do. So keep that in mind. If you do. What is Jesus if we sin? He is our advocate with the Father. Think about that. Jesus. Jesus is on your side. If you're a believer. Jesus is on your side. He is your advocate. And He is your advocate when you do not sin. And He is your advocate when you sin. How great is that? When you, when you blow it and you feel separated and, man, Jesus must hate me now. You ever felt that way when you sin? Isn't it good to be reminded? No. No, Jesus doesn't hate you. When you sin, He is your advocate with the Father. He is on your side. Man, this is, these are the kinds of things that we can give to people to help them and to encourage them in their lives when they're down. Or, how about this? This is the last one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You ever... You ever have regrets for what you were before you came to Christ? And you ever think, man, these thoughts come into your head and you're just weighed down. I mean, there are many people I know. They, they won't serve Jesus now. Not because they don't love Him and not because they don't believe, but they, they know what they've done in the past and they think, who am I? Who am I to try to, to share Jesus with someone? And if you live in a small town... In the same small town you've always lived in. And there are always little accusers running around, aren't there? Hey, you ought to come to church. Oh, you go to church now, do you? Well, I remember when you used to do this. Right? Acting like Satan, because that's what the Satan is. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? So our, our, when you live in a small town and you're from the small town, you've always been in the small town, there's always these little accusers that can run around and tell you how sorry you were before. As if we don't maybe worry about that on our own as it is. And when we feel that way, how great is it to know we're not the same anymore? We're not that person. You know, there were things I did before I came to Jesus that, I, I mean, I would hate for anyone to know about. But here's the reality. I'm not that guy anymore. That guy's dead. He's gone. I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you're a believer, so are you. And those are true statements you can take and give to people that are weighed down by their past and discouraged by it. And that's just a few of them. I mean, that's not even the whole list of all that the Bible says that we are. More than conquerors. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Call upon me and I will hear you. Cast your cares upon him for he cares about you. How many promises are there in Scripture of things that God has said about us as believers? 
Every one of those is true about every believer in Jesus Christ. And when someone is discouraged, we can learn to say to them what God has said about them. And help them, encourage them, and build them up in that time. Now, there is a key to being able to say to people what God has said about them. I have to know what God has actually said. We're not just going to people and making stuff up and saying, thus saith the Lord. We're not those people. Here's what God has said. And if God has said it in here, it's true and it's right. And this is what we take. But I have to know what's in here myself. I have to know what God has said before I can say it to someone else. So that means when I study the Bible, I study it, one, for my own personal spiritual growth and edification. Absolutely. But I also study it with an eye. Someone later is going to need what I just read. Someone later is going to need what I, heard, what, I, what I got today, and I'm going to be able to hand that off to them and encourage them in that moment. We are called to encourage one another and to build one another up. So let's learn to say what God has said. And then the final one, follow the Spirit's leading. As believers, we are meant to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led every area of our lives. One of the, the huge differences from the Old to the New Testament is the, the indwelling and the constant empowering of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon specific individuals at a specific time, usually for a specific purpose, and then He, he removed Himself from them. But in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And He is always there. And He leads us. And we are meant to, to walk with Him all of the time. Right? That's why Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also... Walk in the Spirit. Now, walk in the Spirit is translated different ways. In some translations, it say keep in step with the Spirit. And I've often used this and talked about soldiers marching in a parade. If you ever watched good parade unit march, it looks like one man. As one moves, they all move at exactly the same time. And that's the picture there. But I heard this week a, a better illustration, I think. Have you ever taken a kid that was just learning to walk, Right? And you, you put their feet on your feet. And you held their hands. Caitlin, come here. I'm going to show them with this with you. I'm kidding. <laughs> you put their feet on your feet. And you held them by the hand. And then you stepped. And they stepped when you did, right? That's the picture of what, the, what it's meant to be like as we follow the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is that we step when He steps. He's leading. We're going right then. Right? We're not hesitating. We're not pulling back. We are walking in the Spirit, leading with the Spirit. Where, where He leads, we follow. What He do, says, we do in every way and in every aspect of our lives. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit will lead us is He will lead us to encourage people. He will lead us to minister to people. Right, now, ministry is simply serving Jesus by serving others. Jesus talked about giving a cup of cold water to someone in His name. There's a reward in that. That is ministry. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to times where we minister to others. Right? Let me show you this in Scripture. And I just you can read the whole story later. But the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Right? The Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and said, go over there. Now, Peter went and he, or Philip went and he, he shared the gospel with him. And that is certainly one way that the Holy Spirit will lead us to minister to people. But that's not the only way. 
the Holy Spirit will lead us to minister to people. He will lead us to minister to people in any number of ways to share the gospel, to pray with them, to pray for them, to just generally help and encourage them in their lives. The Holy Spirit is is God, so he knows all things. So he knows what's going on in someone's life. He knows what they need and what their burdens are. He knows who can be an encouragement, who can be a help to them. And so he he likely will lead us to go to share an encouraging word with someone. I was thinking about this in my own life just a few weeks ago. There was someone on my mind as I was driving down the road and hey, Michael, plug up your ears. I texted him to let him know that I was thinking about him and praying for him as I was driving down the road. And I mean, I hadn't talked to him in a while. It was just someone I was thinking of. And they replied back with all this stuff that was going on in their life and why they needed God's help. I mean, they in that moment right then. They needed to know someone was praying for them because of what was going on in their lives. Several years ago, I had a cousin who was struggling under the weight of cancer and it did not look like she was going to make it. And I was reading in the book of Exodus and I read this verse. So the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. Boy, she came to my mind as I thought about that, so I just sent her a message. Shelly, I, I don't know, I know you're struggling under cancer and reading this verse today, and it just, I thought of you. I just want you to know God sees what's going on, God cares, He knows all about it. That's all I said. Oh man, she was so encouraged by that. She was so down that day and what was going on in her life. And, and there are many other ways that God can do it. That the Holy Spirit can lay a person on our mind. As we're reading the Bible, He can, this verse, and as we read this verse, we think about that person. And so what do we do in that moment? We tell them. We go to them. We, we do what we can to encourage them. So that sort of leading of the Holy Spirit, I think it's meant to be normal. I don't think that that sort of leading from the Holy Spirit is meant to be extraordinary. I think it's meant to be just the normal way we live our lives. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is moving us like a parent moves their child, then He's going to move us into areas, into places where we can minister to others. We can encourage and we can build them up. And I would... I would even go so far as to say that that many times you have already had that happen. But we talk ourselves out of it. You read a Bible verse and someone comes to your mind and you think, I ought to share that with them. Oh, that's going to sound weird. I can't do that. We have a we just think about someone while we're praying and we, we maybe say a quick prayer for them. But we think I ought to tell them I'm praying for them. No, but that's going to sound weird. And I'm, you know, Lord brought you to my mind. Who do I think I am? Probably we've all talked ourselves out of doing that time after time after time. The Bible has a word for that or a phrase for that. You know what it is? Look at verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not quench the Spirit. Quench the Spirit is to basically, it, the word quench, it literally meant to put out a fire. And what Paul meant by that was, there are going to be times where the Holy Spirit leads us. 
And in that time, we're going to have an opportunity to surrender to the Holy Spirit and to follow His leading and to do what He wants us to do. Or we're going to have a chance to resist that leading. Now, when we resist the leading of the Holy Spirit in any way, not just sin, right? The Holy Spirit gives a verse to you as you're reading and says, brings this person and you feel led that you're supposed to share it with them and you don't. You have quenched the Spirit's work in your life. We're not supposed to do that. We are meant to follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our lives. So often, we have used stuff like this and we have narrowed it down to just not sinning. The Holy Spirit leads me to not sin. But when you read Scripture, the Holy Spirit led people to do far more than just not sin. He led them to go to people. He, he led people to minister to others. He, he led them to go and, and say something. If we are walking in step with the Spirit on a moment-by-moment moment basis, there are going to be times where the Holy Spirit leads us to encourage and comfort another. And we cannot let fear keep us from doing it. Because here's the reality. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to do it, they need it. So, be confident. And I'm not saying, go and say, hey, the Lord told me this and this and this in your life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you feel led to go pray for them. You feel led to just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Oh, man, that's great. Thank you. I need it. Here's what's going on. Here's a verse I was reading, and it just made me, your mind, you came to my mind as I was studying it. You have no idea what their needs are. You have no idea what God's going to do in you and through you, for you, as you share that. We are called to comfort one another and build one another up. In order to do that, we have to listen to the Spirit. We, we have to follow His leading in every area of our lives. As we go through life and we wait on Jesus to come back, sometimes it's going to be hard. There are going to be relationships that go bad, marriages that struggle, kids that rebel, money problems, health problems, no telling what else. That's just life. There, there, is no, there is no getting around that being life. But as we go through those times, we're meant to have one another. I mean, look around this room. This is your church family. These are the people that you should be able to count on when you're discouraged and feeling tore down to encourage you and build you up. But make no mistake, these are the people that should be able to depend upon you to encourage them and build them up when they're discouraged and feel tore down. This is who we're meant to be. This is what Jesus intends the church to be. We are called to encourage one another. We are called to build one another up. Let's determine above all else we're going to do what God wants us to do. Let's 